0: One of the tabs is a landing page which has a white paper or a guide, whatever it may be, behind a form. But the other tab from a different vendor is a 30 to 40-minute podcast interview where this person has described the solution, talked about the the outcome, and talked about how they got there. Which one is going to be more powerful, more useful for the potential buyer?
1: (laughs) Hi, and welcome to the My Future Business Show. My name's Rick Nusky, and on today's call, I'm on the line with the wonderful Mark Colgan from speakonpodcast.com. Now, before we jump into the show, just a short second of pause to say thank you so very much for supporting the show. Your feedback across our various channels is nothing short of breathtaking, so thank you very much. So welcome to the show, Mark. Now, Mark, it's customary for us to learn a little bit more about you as our guest so that it gives some context as to how it was that you came to be where you are today. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with the My Future Business audience?
0: Hey, Rick, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. It's my Um, pleasure. So I'll try and keep this as brief as possible. So I um, followed quite a traditional career path. I went to university in, in the UK um, as part of my degree, I was able to do a placement, so a year in industry, and I was fortunate enough to be offered a job before I even returned to my final year. So I completed my final year and then went back to the job that I did for the year in uh, on my placement. Mm-hmm. That was in recruitment. Um, so that gave me the opportunity to learn sales, to learn account management, and to get very good at understanding a little about a lot. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is I was recruiting accountants into multiple industries across the East Midlands, so I had to learn very quickly how a business operates, what it, what it is, what it does, so I could explain it and sell the opportunity to a potential candidate, which were accountants, who, as you know, know more about the business than most other departments do. <laughs> yep. um, so after a couple of years of doing that for an agency, I then moved in-house, so I worked in the HR team of um, Experian, which is a well-known company in the UK and mm-hmm. in the US. Um, however, I studied marketing, and I was, and then I was recruiting marketing and sales roles, and I just thought to myself, I could do this job. And this was back in I don't know, about 2010, when really there wasn't wasn't such a thing as digital marketing managers. Um, so I saw that as an opportunity for me to switch industries, which is usually quite hard. But having sat on both sides of the recruitment table, it was a little bit easier for me. And I got my first role as the online marketing manager at a small business in, in the East Midlands. But what that sparked for me was my interest in, in building out the digital campaigns for companies. And over the next four or five years, I worked as their, usually in, in software companies as their first marketing hire. And I went in and built everything, all the systems, all the processes, yeah. all the technology from, from the ground up. Um, as I said, I did that for about four or five years. And then I was reaching the age of 30, and um, because I finished university, went straight into work, I thought, I'm going to give myself an early retirement. And I went traveling for a year, and I traveled around South America and Southeast Asia, got a chance to visit some friends in Australia whilst I was over that side of the world too. Very nice. But whilst I was away, I made the decision that I wasn't going to go back to a 9-to-5 job. Uh, And really what, what was a catalyst for that was. An old contact had reached out to me when I was in South America, and he asked if I could help with a HubSpot CRM implementation. Mm-hmm. I named a price. He said yes, and I got paid. Did the work in about two weeks. Stayed in a very nice hotel in Chile, Santiago, to treat myself, and that was it. I thought I'm never going back to <laughs> to the world of world of work. So,
1: yeah.
0: um, upon returning to to the UK, I set up my own business, which was a consultancy helping. Software companies build out their marketing technology stacks and just how that fits into the overall strategy. Um, did that for two years, really fun time, but very exhausting. Um, busy with two or three clients at a time, which were very labor intensive. And I made the mistake of building the business around me. Um, so it ultimately wasn't scalable. Mm. Um, I then saw an opportunity to work in a company which was a productized service. And it was around 60 people when I joined. I grew it to 100, all remote. And um, then after about a year and a half of working there, I, ha- I wanted to build my own thing. See, so yeah, I missed building something. I was just too busy fixing and, and servicing. Yeah. And that, was, that brings us up to June 2020 when I started an agency called Speak on Podcasts, where we help our customers secure interviews on podcasts that their audience listens to.
1: That's fantastic insight. Thank you very much for that detailed introduction. It's a it's a great um I guess stepping stone a great segue for us to have a a deep conversation about um how things are changing in terms of traditional marketing as opposed to the work that you're doing with your clients. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can uh, give us a bit of background um by comparison um what traditional marketing strategies are because a lot of people do them but they're not actually Uh, too sure what they all mean what are we talking about when we're talking about traditional marketing strategies
0: yeah a really good question and and i i like to i like to call them the foundational marketing so what Mm -hmm. i mean by that is you need to have a website and the website needs to look nice it needs to work well and it needs to have the customer's journey in mind so not everybody coming to your website today is going to be looking to sign up for a free trial to get a demo or to buy from you a lot of people are there to learn and to be educated So your website needs to cater to all all to to those people at the different stages of the buyer's journey. Mm -hmm. You also need to have a presence on social media. And again, it's all about the foundation. So making sure that you are on you have profiles on the social media channels where your audience exists. And I think I see a lot of companies make the mistake of having a Snapchat, Vine when that was a thing, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. But you know, if they're selling to B2B organizations, they probably don't need to be on all of those social Ah, channels. But have Having a presence on the social channels where your audience is spending time is really important from a credibility point of view because what a lot of people forget is that when uh, a potential customer is looking at your site they're comparing you to other vendors and the one the vendor that has a very active social profile they have engaged um, followers and conversations going on just looks a little bit more credible than the empty account uh, that with, which is the other vendor which has no engagement and no posts. Mm-hmm. Um, so social media is, is one thing, a website is another. Um, but I think down to its core, marketing is all about understanding who it is that you want to be having conversations with, who do you want to be influencing, and really understanding what their challenges are, and creating content that can help them overcome those challenges. Mm. And one of the most important things to remember is um, those challenges don't doesn't have to be just what your solution is or does. Um, so to give an example, um, previously I worked for a company that sold lead research and data enrichment for sales teams. Now I sold to VP of sales who needed data. But that wasn't the only thing they needed. They also needed to help onboarding, onboarding and hiring new uh, staff. They needed help training their staff, they needed help on several other things within their uh, within their, um, their their role. Yeah. So what we did, what we did as an organization from a marketing point of view is thought what are, all of my, what are all of the challenges that my customers have and how can we create content to help them solve those challenges to become known, liked and trusted? And I think that's really what is key about marketing.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you so very much. Now, I know a lot of people uh, who are not, um, I guess, experienced would jump into the whole, um, how do I sell stuff? What's, what's the difference between marketing and making sales? Is there a difference? It's
0: a really great question and I personally think that there is a slight difference. The the marketing is all about generating awareness and interest, mm-hmm. and then sales is all about qualifying whether that interest is a, a is a, a specific need right now, and whether this person is the right fit for the organisation. So one thing that I've seen a lot across the organisations I've consulted with is that marketing drive leads because they're being targeted on, qualifi- they're being targeted on generating leads. They hand those over to the sales teams. And the sales seems to turn around and say, Hey, what is this rubbish? These people aren't the right fit. Yeah. And I think that's where there's a disconnect because one of the most important things about selling and sales, and I think a lot of small businesses and new businesses struggle with this is that they don't qualify out people. And it's more important to qualify out, especially at the beginning than it is to qualify in and look, I've just started the business myself. I know exactly how it feels. You don't have a, a lot of leads coming in. Um, you need to start more of your customer acquisition strategies, so you you have the temptation to say yes to everybody because you know you need some revenue yeah um but by saying no to the to to the wrong type of customers saves you so much time, headache, and resource uh, in in the long run
1: <laughs> absolutely you've got to be very selective, I think don't you
0: you really do you really do and don't be afraid of qualifying out and I think where I've done that in the past and said you know look thank you for your time. I just don't think it's a good fit for us right now. And give them the reason why. Maybe it's because that, this is not the best place for them to be spending their money. They, they should be focusing on other things. Um, by understanding who makes an ideal customer for you, you can actually serve those people better. And I, I personally sell with a lot of integrity. And if I don't think I can help somebody, I'll let them know and oftentimes point them in the right direction or introduce them to somebody who could help them out.
1: And that positions your business, and it's a wonderful thing that you do because you're you're being straight up with your uh, your prospects and you're you know opening the door for some and closing the door for others, and I think that's a, a great takeaway for everybody who's on the show with us today. It's okay to say no if that person is a good fit, fit for your business. Now, I think this is a great stepping stone into the next part of the conversation. We've talked about the process of marketing and sales and what they mean, but going hand in hand with that, Mark, would be the need to um, have key performance indicators or otherwise known as KPIs for everybody who's not aware of what they mean. Now, um, I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about what KPIs are in detail and when they are relevant.
0: Really really great question. So I think KPIs for me, the way that I see them is a way to align the organization around the common goals that you're hoping to achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, It also helps and it also helps to break them down into personal and business related. Um, so imagine you have a, a team of individuals. They understand what the business goals are. Maybe you need to deliver X or a certain amount of things per month for your customers. If you're an agency, um, if it's software, it's sales typically, and and, and growing MRR, or, sorry, monthly recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. But on a personal level, I think this is where KPIs become more important because at the end of the day, you you have, if you're the business owner, you have the vision. You you know your next three or four moves but your employees don't, and you know part of your job is to protect them from not worrying about what the next moves are, that's, that's your job. Yeah. But at the same time, you really need to give them an understanding of, hey, am I doing a good job? And how am I being measured uh, for, for the job that I'm doing? And it helps you as the business owner from um, understanding whether this person is performing well against what the expectations are. And it also helps you defend and also approve any sort of progression within the team Um, So if somebody comes to you in nine months' time and they say, hey, I want a pay rise. I've been working for nine months, I've been doing, I perceive I've been doing a good job, Mm -hmm. you actually have some numbers and metrics to to benchmark them against and say, no, you're doing a great job, but however, you haven't reached all of the KPIs, you've been doing the minimum, but we really need to stretch you to the next level in order to uh, reward you with the additional pay or extra holiday, whatever it may be. Without those KPIs in place, it can be very, very hard for you to have conversations and make decisions based on data
1: thank you for sharing i'd love to go in a couple of different directions with this call if we can mark um i want to first jump over to uh speak on podcasts and talk specifically about the team that you currently have there because i know that's a wonderful group of individuals from uh different uh, nationalities and countries would that would that be a fair fair call
0: yeah, yeah, no, you're you're correct. I think we're we've just employed our, our seventh person, who's not on the website just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, he is from the US but lives in Chiang Mai, uh, right. in Thailand. Um, so we were very considered at the beginning to build a completely remote company which knew no no borders. Um, it doesn't matter where you work or where you live, um, as long as you have the right skills and attitude and can bring extra uh, things to the table, we'd consider the application. So. In a way, we don't look at names, locations, nationalities or anything like that. It's all about the experience and how people go through the application process. But I'm very proud in, in the three and a half months that we've been running that we've been able to grow to seven people um, yeah. all across the world. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a little bit tricky when it comes to let's find a time where we could all speak for the <laughs> team meetings and team <laughs> trainings. But yep. that's just once or twice a week where we have to, some of us have to make some sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Um, I move and travel remotely as well, so I'm often changing time zones, which confuses everybody. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm very proud of what we've been able to build so far.
1: And it's amazing the, the era that we live in, isn't it, Mark, with this technology? that uh, Where are you right now, for example?
0: Uh, I'm in Sicily in Italy.
1: Well, there you go. You're traveling around the world. I'm in Australia and we're having this conversation just like two old friends at a coffee shop having a cup of coffee together. Um, You know, you can run businesses nowadays. What's your what's your take on technology and where do you think we're going to go in the next 10 years?
0: Yeah. so I think just to take a step back from mm-hmm. the technology piece, because technology facilitates the processes that you're wanting to, to be followed. Mm-hmm. Um, really, when, when you build a company which is remote first, you build everything from the ground up to work that way. I genuinely do feel and understand the stresses and the concerns of companies who were traditional office based yeah. who have had to transition to working remotely or hybrid. Um, because they don't have the structure. They don't have the documentation in place to facilitate that. So for example, um, the, rules that I, the, kind of the rules that I subscribe to, if I ever have to do a process more than once, I'll record a video of how to do it. So not only because somebody else can do it, but if, I, um, if something happens to me one day and um, I'm not able to do that particular task, then there's a documentation of that task. And and if if I'm honest, I spent the first month and a half writing 300 pages of processes for the business (laughs) before I had a single customer. And the main reason being is I was trying to think of all of the logic branches of what would happen if this and what would we do when this happens. Mm -hmm. And what that did is it just accelerated our growth in the sense that we had the framework. And we had the guidelines, and now all we do is just make edits to those um, 300 pages, but they're split into different documents, obviously. Um, and I actually have um, a project manager who works for the company whose job is to own the processes. So any changes that need to be made, that's our project manager's job to change that. Now going back to the, the point about technology and and being set up for remote, in a, in a... In in the normal working environment, you may not have that project manager. You, you might not have somebody whose whole job is to look at processes and make them more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, another thing about technology is the communication. So I record a lot of videos, which gives updates to people. I might be recording that video at 11. So my, my employee in the US can watch that in real time almost. Um, but the one, uh, the one in the Philippines, one in Chiang Mai, they can watch that when they wake up. Um, our other employee who's in uh, Portugal and Czech Republic um, they can watch that when they get up the next day as well. So it really, the, the technology helps you communicate, but you've got to think about the ways in which you need to communicate. Do you really need to have a meeting where everybody turns up at the same time? Or is a five-minute video just walking through an update or showing a new process? Is that going to work and be efficient? Um, so I think it really comes down to thinking about what is the best way to communicate and for example, we don't have any meetings on Fridays. Mm-hmm. We prefer to keep Fridays as our um, admin day, our winding down day, and you know I understand that all of us are all of us are busy, everybody's working hard and on Friday if if we just focus on the admin tasks to make sure things are all set up for the next week and it's an easier day, then I'm happy with that because my employees are happy and I'm happy.
1: This call is a hand in glove. Uh, conversation, uh, Mark, because we have startup entrepreneurs and existing small to medium sized business owners and book authors who listen into the mm. show. And having you here sharing this insight into uh, the things that you go through is just wonderful. I'd, I'd just like to touch on, if we could, Mark. Um, have you seen, given the the nature of the cultural makeup of the people working inside your business remotely, that different ideas have come from each part of your business?
0: Yes, so, so there is. So the one thing that I learned from my previous experience, and we had around 100 remote employees um, spanning even a wider, uh, wider geography from where we are right now, mm-hmm. is um, that there's different cultures and different cultural elements that make communication a little bit more difficult. So for example, some cultures, um, they don't like to question authority, and they may not make suggestions even if they think a process can be improved. Ah. Um, so it took a lot of work for me um, to overcome those barriers. And what I ended up doing was recording a video every week on a Friday, which was a, a company update to share with everybody to, you know, sometimes I'd wear a silly hat or, you know, just do something <laughs> to make myself more personable and yep. more, more approachable. I'd tell stories and, and anecdotes and things I did as a mistake because I wanted everybody to know that it's a, it's a safe place to make mistakes mm-hmm. um, as long as we learn from them. And one, the the best thing I did there was I really nominated um, a couple of individuals who were in the same country to be the spokesperson for the masses, mm-hmm. um, because I I just couldn't convert sixty people who live and were brought up in a certain way to change their whole cultural identity and be comfortable sharing feedback. But there were a few people who were okay with that, and pre because they'd previously worked with U.S. companies and European companies, so they became the spokespeople and any feedback went to them. And then that feedback came to me. And then I made sure that I did an extra job of communicating back to everybody, thanking for the suggestions, letting people know how we're going to change things and improve things moving forward. Um, the ideas though, that come out of it, one of our employees is an ex chief of staff for a judge, and she has so much uh, of a process and an attention to detail, as you can imagine, and working for for, for a judge in the legal sector that, she is finding so many little um, holes in the process that I originally wrote a few months ago and she's <laughs> able, to, she's able to, to fix it. What, what's great though about the, I think, for, for the, having people with different backgrounds and different experiences is that it, that reflects our customers. So a lot of our customers work in different industries, they, they're focusing on different audiences. So by having people that have got broad experience and exposure to these different industries, Helps us with the context of understanding our customers and understanding what the objectives of our
1: customers are oh yeah I wonder I always come back to the the human element of a business and we're going to be talking about that in terms of uh, the actual service uh, provisions that you provide for your clients um, mm-hmm. how did you feel you know that first moment that you you knew that you were bringing this team together and there were struggles in front of you but you know, you, you you signed up that first client because we love taking people through that journey as, as entrepreneurs. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that with us?
0: Yeah. So um, the first the first few months. So one one of the things that I learned um, this is from managing people before mm-hmm. is that as as a middle manager, for example, my job is to hold an umbrella above the people that report into me and protect all of the fallout coming from the angry director above. <laughs> so my my job is to is to protect the people um, who report in into me. And then my job is also to manage the expectations of those that report into me to say, hey, look, I need to know this information at this time in this way because I need to trust your word and take that to my management as well. Mm-hmm. So from, from a human point of view, it just really comes down to, for me, it comes down to managing expectations. I think as long as everybody understands what's required of them, what their responsibilities are, and what good looks like, um, then you can really um, manage the expectations and everybody knows where they stand. But yes, it's nerve-wracking, Rick, um, <laughs> knowing that you've got mouths to feed, mortgages to pay. I yeah. don't even have a mortgage myself because mm-hmm. I'm very nomadic. Yeah. <laughs> I've got employees that have mortgages. So there is some pressure there to make sure that we are um, focusing as, as much as we can on bringing in new business. And I think this is a really important segue. And when, when I built the company with, with my co-founder, mm-hmm. when we built the company, we built it as a product, not something that me or Jacob, the co-founder, had yep. to do ourselves. So, if, and that was the mistake I made when I worked as a consultant. It was me. I was doing the I was doing the analysis. I was doing the audits. I was doing the implementations. I was doing the training, and I could only work with two or three companies at a time. And every company was different in terms of their requirements. Yep. So I was very, very um, considered and very um, deliberate in building this business in a way that it doesn't require me to do the actual work even though I can do it. and That's a challenge for me because I'm a very process and a systems thinker yes. um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist as well, so I've had to work on myself a lot to say, no, stand back. Um, if things go wrong, they can be fixed, but you need to give the responsibility to others to deliver the work. And I, I think for a lot of small businesses, especially when they're starting out, um, it can be very hard to make that decision. And, one of the conscious decisions that I made is I brought um, a project manager in from mm-hmm. day one. So, and I was very fortunate to have worked with with her in the past and she was able to take on the first customers, go through the processes, make changes, ask me questions. And we, we had so many conversations in the beginning. A lot of moments where it was like, oh yeah, I did not think of that. Or think of
1: that. Yeah. Why
0: did I write? Why did I write three pages about this? Nobody's even asked us about uh, this, this particular question. Um, so, yeah, very, very fortunate to have somebody who trusted me and, and, and took a leap of faith. Um, but fast forward you know, three months later and, and we're now at seven employees and, and actively growing.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, My future business, Mark, as you know, is is all about helpful people, helping people and you showing the real and raw side to what it's like to be being a co-founder of a business is so powerful. Thank you very much for sharing. Now, we were talking about KPIs earlier and how um, businesses often neglect the, I guess, the attributal channels like word of mouth and organic content and even podcast interviews like today. Um, where, where is marketing changing and what's becoming more important?
0: So to, to frame this answer, I think a lot of marketers and a lot of salespeople do not play the long game. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that they have monthly or quarterly targets which they have to hit. I've been there myself. I'm setting those targets for my team, so I understand it. Mm-hmm. But there is so much power in playing the long game and also with giving value without expecting anything in return. And, and just like I used the example before, when I couldn't work with a customer or a potential customer, I would do everything I can to help them because I know they still have the challenge that they came to me with. It's yeah. just that they're not a fit, they're not a fit for me. So by making those introductions and making those referrals to other people, I would often get work being referred to me by those people. So I turned a potential negative scenario and situation into a positive. When it, In specifically the podcasting, so now we're thinking you're not playing the long game. Um, People don't like to be sold to, yet everybody likes to buy. Mm -hmm. And when people buy, we really buy only for two main reasons, two huge categories. One is to avoid pain or a loss. The other one is for pleasure. Now, if we're talking about business to business, then really we're focusing on the, uh, the avoiding a loss um, uh, or to, uh, to avoid pain. Yeah. So just remembering these things as well. So when you are an organization and traditionally you're creating content and you're putting it behind a, 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 on, on a landing page behind a form, somebody has a problem, you have the answer. And what you're doing is you're putting that answer behind a form. That doesn't create a great environment or impression to that individual when they, all they want is to find out the answer and you've said that you've got the answer but you're making them fill out a nine, uh, a nine fielded form with their personal details their mobile number their email address so I think where I'm going with this is that the perception of what marketing has to do has changed the buyers are more informed and aware of, of, of uh, the buyers are more informed and aware and they know how to research. Yeah. I didn't get taught how to use Google at school, because Google wasn't a thing. I hope they are teaching children how to use Google, because it's the <laughs> best too. skill that uh, any, any child can learn. Um, but think about it. Put yourself in the customer's shoes. They yeah. have a problem. They're looking for a solution. They've picked on two websites. They've opened up two different tabs. One of the, uh, one of the tabs is a landing page, which has a white paper or a guide, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. behind a form. But the other tab, from a different vendor, is a 30 to 40 minute podcast interview where this person has described the solution talked about the the outcome and talked about how they got there which one is going to be more powerful more useful for
1: the potential buyer yes absolutely I know the answer to that <laughs> yeah. so so very easy when I frame it in, in that way but I think what a
0: lot of the time because we because sales and marketing we have KPIs, um, we're, we're trying to generate leads. We're trying to close deals. Mm-hmm. We're just not thinking enough about the customer, and we're not thinking enough about their journey. And one of the great things about the, this proactive approach, which is, um something you mentioned before, this proactive approach to to marketing is that a, a, a podcast like this, like this interview that we're doing now, is mm-hmm. going to be live forever, um, uh, essentially, or until you stop paying the hosting bills. Really, yeah. um, but it will it will live. It will live online and, and one of the great things about podcasts is that when people have a problem, they then search for the solution and if the podcast interview, the podcast episode that you've spoken on are optimized well enough with the show notes, with the title, then they're going to find your results and they're going to hear you and they're going to hear you very intimately because they're listening to you speak for 35, 40 minutes, maybe even an hour at a certain times, right in their ear. And there must, I haven't done too much research on this, but psychologically, that must be more powerful than reading a piece of text or looking at an image because it feels intimate. They get to know you. They get to know how you sound. And I, for me, I'm, I'm a very cynical marketer. Rick, I've been around for long enough and <laughs> seen a lot of the, the, fat, the fads and trends. Yeah. And, um, you know, credibility is, credibility is quite easy to fake. I mm. could go and put a load of fake logos on my website and say that I work with them. What is hard to fake is real credibility, and one of the best ways to build that credibility is through storytelling. As human beings, we've been wired to listen and to enjoy stories for hundreds of like, thousands of years, and, and it's something that, in the medium of podcasts, is a very, very powerful thing, which not a lot of marketing and salespeople are actually, or companies are thinking about right now.
1: Yeah, we're right at the, uh, the pointy end of it aren't we we're just coming into this new phase and I guess this makes up part of your secret sauce that you talk about uh, on your website and um, for everybody's on the call with us today Mark's going to share uh, details about um, his website but I've been there Mark and I've seen what you're talking about in terms of reducing the friction of getting the answers to questions uh, when people get there but um, we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute now um, what how, how important is is, um, trust when you're, when you're building, uh, I guess, relationships with your clients. Uh,
0: it's, it's so important. Um, and I think one of the best ways to build that trust is going back to that managing expectations, it's, mm-hmm. um, letting people know clearly what's going to happen when and where, and as much as you, <laughs> so we, we're, we're having this experience at the moment. Um, so we, we have an onboarding process where we let customers know over a call exactly what the next steps are, not every customer learns by listening. Some customers will learn by reading. So what we have found is that we we need to reiterate our point or reiterate the the, the actions and the next steps in multiple different ways so that the customers know what's going on. So for an example, um, we use a Google Sheet with our customers to keep them updated of the podcasts that we're having conversations with and what the next steps are in the booking process. During the onboarding call, we let our customers know uh, verbally or sometimes we do a video call but we let them know that it's your responsibility, Mr. Customer, Mm -hmm. to respond to these comments in the Google Sheet when they come in. The longer you don't respond, there is an increasing chance that podcast hosts may no longer be interested because they're busy. I've said that. I was on the call. I say it every time. It's part of my script. Mm -hmm. Yet still, some, some customers never respond to the comments. And it's because you forget, as a business owner, but this is your baby, this business is my baby, and I'm, I'm invested in making sure that everything is communicated effectively mm-hmm. and at the right time. However, for a customer, we're just one hour in, a, in an eight or nine or ten hour day of, that they have, and they've got other priorities and other things that are taking their share of mine. Um, so you just have to continuously communicate, and, and the, the rule that we have in our company is communicate with our customers until they ask us to stop. If we can get them to say, thank you, Mark, I understand, I won't make this mistake again, um, I'll make sure I'm a little bit more active on, on the Google sheet just in, in this Google example, that's fine, but I, the one thing that I am uh, coaching all of the team on is like, do not be afraid of over communicating, because the worst thing that can happen is they'll just ask us to stop communicating as much, which isn't a bad thing.
1: You know, the thing that's coming out through this conversation for me, Mark, is the fact that you are willing as a group, as, a, as an organisation to uh, forge a real relationship which makes you, as the business owners, um, communicate stay in contact actually guide and maybe even nudge your clients a little bit to keep going because ultimately as an agency um, you're there to help them and like you said people Absolutely. are busy, so uh, it's a credit to you um, now who, who exactly is your target audience who do you serve
0: yeah so we, we have a real a real mixture um, I think the most important thing again thinking about qualifying in or out people Um mm-hmm speaking on podcasts is very much a PR activity or, or a marketing is proactive marketing. We can't, it's not a lead generation strategy and therefore shouldn't be compared to lead generation strategies. And so our ideal customers are customers who understand the importance of investing in their brand and the brand awareness and also investing in the long the long play of this strategy. Because as, as we mentioned, if they're speaking on four podcasts per month then that builds up over time Yeah, and there will be people. So I uh, I shared a screenshot on uh, Twitter the other day, which was I had two people reach out to me. I woke up one morning, went on LinkedIn, saw two connection requests. Both of them had said, really enjoyed your podcast episode on podcast name, Uh, really enjoyed your webinar on this with with Mailshake. Um, I recorded those six months ago. They went live six months. I hadn't forgotten about them, but I just they hadn't been top of mind for a while. But these people were looking to solve a challenge or looking to answer a question and they they discovered that content at a time which was important to them. So that's the power of doing podcasts on a regular basis is because in the future it lives online.
1: Um, I, I just want to, I guess, uh, reveal to our audience, Mark, who exactly uh, is your your audience? Who are your target uh, clients?
0: So we have a couple of categories that We have a number of customers who are in the C-suite, so uh, pretty senior in in large organizations who are investing in their personal brand, and they perhaps have a marketing budget for for that, so Mm -hmm. we work with those. Um, We have a lot of software companies and CMOs of of marketing, uh, sorry, of of software companies, um, really because that that audience can be very easily identified. Um, There are a number of consultants, so we have a sales consultant and a marketing consultant as customers. We have a number of book authors. um, Some coaches and really the subjects really do vary. Um, some of them are executive coaches look talking about work-life balance, others organizational uh, culture. Um, yeah it really really does vary. I think the most important thing for us and for us to have a very honest conversation with, with our potential customers is is this the right strategy for you right now given where your business is right now.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Mark. This has just been an absolutely jam-packed call full of great content. So if you're a coach, you're a business owner, you're an author, you're an entrepreneur looking for the long game, podcasting is where it's at. It's going to be around a long time. If you want to get content out there and you want to be guided through the process, I definitely would be reaching out to Mark and his team at Speak On Podcast. And with all that being said, Mark, where are people going to go when they want to find you and work with you?
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Rick. So yeah, the the best place to find us is speakonpodcast.com. I tried to keep the business name uh, as simple as I could. So it it says what it does on the tin. So yeah, yeah, speakonpodcast.com.
1: Excellent, well look, um, again, as is customary for everybody who's on the show today, no matter where you find this wonderful interview with Mark and myself, you will find links back to speakonpodcast.com. I will be making absolutely sure of that. And with all that being said, Mark, I've had a wonderful time spending some time with you on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you, Rick, me too, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe